You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Who wants to take a wild guess what I'm about to say? Oopsie, I overslept, <laughs> and we don't have much time. This is uh, its almost becoming unnecessary for me to even say that because its it's a regular occurrence. But this was a big time oversleeper. This is, uh, it's, it's, you ever have it where you, you swear, like, I, I just closed my eyes for like a second. Like, it was literally just a second, and then I went to check my phone because I hit snooze. And I'm like, all right, how many, how, how many more minutes of my five minute snooze do I have left? And it was four o'clock. If you don't know, I get up at three. So that was an hour long snooze that I had. So that's, that's problematic. But anyways, there is quite a bit on the agenda. Well, I don't know. One of the, the, the first things I want to address is actually the 49ers. I know it doesn't sound interesting, but there's been some talk about, well, the Bears completely fell off. And you know what? I bet the 49ers are going to do it too. I don't think so. I was leading the charge on the Bears are about to regress thing. In fact, I was leading the charge on the Bears are about to become really good thing. I've been pretty spot on with the Bears as much as I've gotten some other stuff wrong. But there, there's a methodology to it, right? You're just kind of reading the tea leaves. You see where everything's going. With the Bears, with under Vic Fangio, they kept getting better every year. And then in 2017, they were a quote-unquote bad team. Excuse me, I'm falling asleep sitting here. But every game they lost was like a, you know three-point loss and so I just had the general thought can you even hear you know why I'm oversleeping listen you hear that yeah that's my alarm that you can't hear in the background what is going on sorry so I just figure if they just take another tiny little step they're actually going to win a lot of games and they did they actually took a very big step the step was actually way too big and I looked at it and said you know what this is, uh, this is a much bigger step than I think anyone in history has ever made. In fact, it's an unsustainable step, and they're about to fall off. And they did. 
And so I'd, I had seen similar things about they're about to fall off, but also there was a question in the Facebook group when I had gone through, not yesterday, this was another time, I've done this a few times, looking at the Bears' salary cap, and the question was asked, hey, would you mind doing that with the 49ers? All right. So I just want to take a look at it, because it is an important question, because everybody, when something happens, the assumption is new dynasty. Is this the new dynasty? Right, Chiefs 49ers, is this like the new thing that's going to happen from now on? And of course, well, I mean, we'll get into the specifics, but anything is possible, and it all comes down to really this time of year. A lot of it comes down to the GM. The stuff that I'm going to say is what I think is going to happen, but it almost all uh, almost all of it has to do with the GM just, just doing a good job. If he doesn't, then yeah, they're, they're about to fall off. Same goes for every team. There's no such thing as a dynasty with a garbage GM. That's why I said GM is the most important thing. It is the most important thing. Second most important thing is maybe coach, and then third would be quarterback. You want long-term success, get the best GM ever. Well, I disagree. I think quarterback's more important. Okay, who's going to get the quarterback? It's the GM. Kind of cheating with that, but, you, you know, whatever. It's the truth, though. After that, there's a couple other kind of random questions from the Facebook group. We'll see what we can get to. However, make sure you are in the Facebook group. Make sure you like the Packing a Podcast Facebook page. If you like the work that's being done here, if you wouldn't mind, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash pack underscore daddy. You can join up for as little as a dollar a month. Not only is it going to help me and the show, but I'm doing monthly giveaways this month. If we can get to 100 patrons, the giveaway is one winner will be able to have a t-shirt designed and then send to them. So you tell me a Packers designed shirt that you think would be cool, I'll go out, go out, have it made, and get it sent to you. On top of that, there's other little things. A lot of times when I do notes, I've been slacking a little bit, but um, do a whole big project, and I'll put that up on Patreon. Yesterday, I up, updated my 2020 NFL Draft big board. So if you're a patron, you should have got a notification about that. I started putting it in an Excel spreadsheet so that you can actually sort it and do all this other kind of fun stuff with it. Over 400 prospects, even got punters and kickers now. We're at that point of the season where punters and kickers are now a part of this. It is an aggregated big board from all around the uh, internet. So it's got uh, their average rank, their highest and lowest rank, and how much they rose or fell since my last update. So if that's interesting to you, check out patreon.com. And again, you can get in for as little as a dollar a month. Let's take a break, and uh, we'll start poking at the 49ers a bit. This spring, if you're looking for something mighty, mighty fun to do, perhaps you follow your favorite baseball teams to Arizona for the Cactus League spring training for some amazing weather and landscapes, exciting outdoor adventures, incredible food, because Arizona is the perfect home base for baseball fans. you got 10 baseball stadiums all within 50 miles of Greater Phoenix where 15 baseball teams are all going to converge and do what they do, namely, play baseball. You'll have the opportunity to check out these different stadiums. Before the games, you'll be able to get to meet some players, get some autographs. It's a much more laid-back environment. be a great destination for the kids if you're looking for something to do. If you got some kids, they got plenty of family-friendly resorts, hotels. they got water parks. You can go out horseback riding, wildlife parks, aquariums. And if you'd rather just ditch the kids and go watch baseball, you can go out and do something a lot more fun, whether that means jeep tours and skydiving or doing brewery tours, whatever it is, and however you want to craft this, you can do it. So check out visitarizona.com slash springtraining. All right, so I want to start by looking at the Chicago Bears and what went wrong here. Because it's not enough to just say, well, you're good and the Bears fell off, therefore you're going to fall off. 
I mean, maybe, but we should probably have some kind of methodology here. And so, you know, and, and it was somewhat of a risk for me to, I mean, everything I do is a risk because I'm putting my, my uh, thoughts and opinions out and I've got a good chance of being wrong. And if the Bears go on to win the Super Bowl and I'm sitting here saying they're going to fall off, I'm going to sound like a dummy. Fortunately, this went quite well. But if we just go through some of these things, for example, Kyle Fuller, right? And, and remember, they lost their defensive coordinator. So even some of these guys, even if they didn't have just this really big, crazy, weird jump, there's still some questions like Kyle Fuller. Kyle Fuller was a more natural progression. In 2014, he was terrible. 2015, he was pretty good. 20, uh, 2016, he must not have played. 2017, he was even a little bit better. So from 14, it was 47, then 70, then 77, then 81. This is the Fangio ladder, I guess you can call it, or the Fangio steps. If you look at the PFF grades, and this is how I had a feeling they were going to continue to be really, really good. Now, this was a more natural progression from 77 to 81 is sort of normal. The question was, when Fangio leaves, what's going to happen to Kyle Fuller and this these steps? Now, Fuller, I wasn't quite sure about because, again, this is a little bit more of a natural thing. However, he was also very scheme dependent. And he was going to have to switch schemes, so I thought he was going to regress. He regressed in a big way. Kyle Fuller had his worst year since his rookie year. His overall grade was a 62.5. So in this new scheme, Kyle Fuller is struggling. You could say he's one of those guys that is Fangio dependent. On the other hand, you got a guy like Prince of Mukamura. Prince of Mukamura was one that was very easy to see. This is the most consistent guy I've ever seen in my life. Here are his grades from 2011 to 2016. 60, 69, 69, 69, 69, 66 quite consistent. Then in 2017 with the Bears, he got a bump with Vic Fangio, 73. And then 2018, he gets a crazy bump. He's one of the guys that gets a crazy bump because this this defense just clicked where everything was just perfect and it was just kind of weird. 81. This is a guy who's been 60s his entire career since 2011 when he entered the league. Suddenly he's an 81. He's one of the best corners in football. Give me a break. Prince of Mukamura? He's as average and vanilla as they come. So when I looked at it, I said, listen, he's one of those guys that's going to regress. It's regression to the mean. It's just, it's you're going to go back to what you are. Guess what his grade was? 68. That's exactly who Prince of Mukamura is. So when you got a bunch of guys who peaked and then went back to being who they really are, the defense is nowhere near what it was. There's also several other guys, and this is the thing with the media. We talk about their their recency bias, and they talk about how great and elite people are. Several of those guys were on the Bears. One of them was Akeem Hicks. Last year, everybody talked about Akeem Hicks being one of the best, right? He was all over NFL Network. When they talked about Akeem Hicks, he's one of the best in the league. This guy's been around since 2012. Nobody's talked about him. Suddenly, they're pretending that they've always known that he's one of the best defensive tackles in all football. He's always been good. But let's look at his trajectory since 2012, 68, 67, 65. Then Fangio comes along, 71, 76, 76, 91. So, so again, what exactly do we expect? Now, if you're listening to the media, 91 is just who he is. It's always it's who he's always been, and it's who he'll, who he'll always be. But the point is, the media is just dishonest about this stuff. And I'm obviously using that broadly, but this is where you keep hearing this. If last year you heard of somebody talking about Akeem Hicks being one of the greatest in football, that's the media I'm talking about. The point is, their goal is to sound like they're the smartest person in the room. And so when Akeem Hicks is just dominant, their move is to say, oh yeah, I mean, everybody knows he's one of the greats. 
I mean, I, I've been watching this kid since he was in high school. I used to babysit him. I know everything about him. I know his favorite snack because I packed it for him for lunch when I was his nanny. I know all things about Akeem Hicks I've always known. I could see it in him. When he got off the bus and I was creeping on him. And I was like, who's that kid right there? He's going to be a great defensive tackle in 20 years. They don't, they're making this up. He went from being average for three years to being pretty good for three years to being one of the best defensive tackles in football, and everybody told you that he just is one of the best defensive tackles in football, and that's the reason the Bears are so dominant. Well, he is this year, but when I'm looking at it, I'm saying, guess what? This isn't who Akeem Hicks is, though. I don't think Akeem Hicks is the kind of guy that's going to be able to sustain being 91.7% forever. I mean, this is Aaron Donald level. Akeem Hicks is not Aaron Donald. He's not going to be able to sustain that level of play. I'm sorry, he's not. He's not on the tier of Aaron Donald, of Khalil Mack, of just the most elite players in football. And guess what happened this year? 76 was his overall grade, which is the exact same grade he was in 2017 and 2016 before that. He went right back to being the guy he always was. This magical year for the Bears went away. And and guess what? It's not as though this year was just a down year and they're about to come back. This is who the Bears are. Now, again, if they get a better quarterback, of course they can be better. But that year in 2018 is gone and it's not coming back. Unless they rebuild it and get different players that happen to be super elite, this isn't coming back. That year was a fluke. Vic Fangio had built just this. It's one of this thing where one of these things where he was building towards something and building towards something, and everything just clicked. Everything was working so perfectly as a unit that everybody it was just easy for everybody, and they dominated because the scheme was just so unbelievable. This is why I've been so enamored with Vic Fangio, and when he left, I was so elated, and Bears fans were telling me, I don't I think that's overrated. In fact, some Bears fans were telling me that it was going to be even better because Vic Fangio wasn't aggressive enough. He never blitzed. He was too vanilla with his, his base 3-4 garbage, and we got this new defensive coordinator in Pagano, and he likes to attack. He's an attack dog. You just wait. Well, okay, and the point is just about everybody that's that stayed consistent. Roy Robertson Harris. He didn't really need to decline because he just is who he is. Floyd never got really a big bump, so he just stayed who he is. Nick Kwiatkowski is kind of weird. And this is one of the concerns I have about Nick Kwiatkowski and, and some of the other guys because you're getting some of that media narrative of who he is last year is who he's always been. Here's the, the rub on Nick Kwiatkowski. Here's his, his grades over four years. 59, 80, 56, 72. Very up and down. And by the way, this last year, uh, when he got a 72, so 2017 was really his one good year. 2019, in games where he played some kind of somewhat significant snaps, he played 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 weeks, I think. I don't think Nick Kwiatkowski is necessarily a slam dunk. I, li- I mean, I've always been really high on Nick Kwiatkowski, but I'm almost to the point now where I'm kind of on the other side of it. You know how I operate, right? I, I when, when everybody's on the wrong side, I pull really hard to the other the other angle. So I was pulling real hard on the dude. Nick Kwiatkowski's pretty good, and Bears fans just never appreciated him. The Bears never played him, and I never understood it, because he's just, he's better than a lot of the guys they got. But we gotta play Roquan, even though Roquan is just absolute dog mess. Yeah, I said it how I said it. He's been terrible. But now everybody's in the Nick Kwiatkowski's a freak, and it's kind of like, eh. I mean, I'm not opposed to it, but a little concerned. But then there's the other, one of the biggest examples of this. And it's their safety, Eddie Jackson. Now, this one was hard to project 
Because he maybe just was the greatest safety ever. You never know. But the point is, he played one year in 2017, and his grade was a 68. In 2018, his grade was a 93, and he was the best safety in football. So, I mean, again, maybe he just is. Who You know, he took that second leap, and this is just the guy he is. It's hard to say because I don't know what his baseline is. However, when you look at where he was drafted, which is in the fourth round, and you look at the fact that everybody's kind of overinflated, I kind of thought he would regress a little bit, but he's probably a really good safety. Did anybody even hear his name once this past year? Again, remember, the media told you this is the greatest ever. And by the way, they were falling over themselves trying to explain to you how they knew. How did we miss it? Here's what we got wrong. Here's how we should have known. Here's why I did know. I always liked Eddie Jackson. I said we should have got Eddie Jackson back in the whatever. I said in the second round or the first round, he should have been... Boy, oh boy, these GMs, they don't know what they're talking about. Eddie Jackson's grade in 2019 was a 66.9. It was worse than his rookie year. He was the 46th ranked overall safety. As a contrast, HaHa Clinton Dix was a 74. HaHa was their best safety. And it really wasn't even close. So, and HaHa's a, a, a free agent. So they don't really have any good safeties, apparently. I don't think they have any good linebackers, depending on who they re-sign. But again, Roquan Smith has been terrible. Roquan Smith in his rookie year graded out as a 67. My assumption is he's going to take a big jump, right? He's an early first-round guy. I personally never liked him. I was very open about that. But I figure I'm probably wrong, right? This is the He fits the NFL model. I'm sure he'll be great. He dropped to a 52.4. The guy is just not good. And don't give me this he was hurt nonsense. He played from week 1 to week 13. So the... The point is, and then again, you look at Khalil Mack. Well, what happened with Khalil Mack? He, first of all, he did regress a little bit, which is nice to see. So if anything, maybe there'll be a slight rebound because it seems like everybody kind of went back a little bit more than you would expect. But overall, I don't expect regression because Khalil Mack has always just been dominant. I mean, since 2015, I mean, 2014, his rookie year, he was, his grade was an 87, which is amazing. Since then, it's 91, 92, 90, 90. So I don't expect a regression because it was never some big spike. If he's going to be back to his old self, his old self is 90. Right? That is his old self. That's his new self. That's his old self. That's his always self. But again, my whole point with the for- with the, the Bears is if they just play, if everybody just went back to who they are normally, this is just kind of a good, not great defense. And that's what they were. And now they're going to lose a lot of players. They don't have a lot of money to resign anybody. They don't have any money to go into free agency and do stuff, depending on who they end up cutting. They don't have a lot of draft picks because of Khalil Mack. They don't have a lot of opportunities to fix this, and you see it slowly fall apart. In 20, I think 2018, they had one of the better offensive lines in football. This year, it really took a hit. Charles Leno completely fell off. Cody Whitehair has been declining ever since he came into the league. He was, he, I mean, as a rookie, he was one of the best football players, one of the best offensive linemen in football. Now he's kind of garbage. Ted Larson has always been bad. They got guys retired. So, I mean, this isn't supposed to be about the Bears, but I, you know, you know how I get stuck when I talk about the Bears in a negative way. This is, I mean, this is just a bad team. They have a bad offensive line. They have one good wide receiver in Robinson, who is a cap problem. They don't have tight ends. They don't have any wide receivers outside of Robinson. They drafted a running back that they really need to step up because he did not have that good of a rookie season. But even if he does, again, bad offensive line, no tight ends, and one wide receiver is still not a very good offense, especially when you have a subpar quarterback. Your corners are not good. Your defensive line is not very good outside of Hicks, who's good but not great. You have one pass rusher and no help anywhere else. Your linebackers are not good and your safeties are not good. That is a summary of the Chicago Bears. 
And again, the point is, this was somewhat predictable. I never really dove into the offense because I was so concerned with this elite defense, one of the best defenses we'd ever seen. And I just said, listen, there's no way they repeat this. Now, if we flip over to the 49ers, the only thing I'm really looking at, and again, regression is possible and it can happen in in a bunch of different ways with injuries or whatever. But the question is, do you expect this to get worse? Well, I do expect Richard Sherman to take a big drop. Absolutely. And again, this is one of those things where everybody talks about Richard Sherman is just, he's always been this good. He's just elite. You can't get behind Richard. There's a reason you haven't heard Richard Sherman's name and everybody was laughing at Richard Sherman and saying he fell off after 2014 because he did fall off after 2014. So if we just start in 2012, which is when he broke out, right? His rookie year, he was a 78. But since then, 92, 90, 90. And he dropped to 79, 79, 77, 68, right? So he had three really good years. Then he dropped a little bit, but he had three good years. 2018 was just not good at all. Then in 2019, best corner in all football. PFF had him ranked number one in the league. So yeah, I think Richard Sherman's going to take a, a dip. He doesn't have to. Maybe it's just being with the 49ers. They got him schemed up right. He's just in a perfect situation. Maybe he stays this way. But I think as far as age and as far as his expect as, as our expectations for him go, I think you're going to see a regression, and I think that's fair to assume. But they've also got other corners. Emmanuel Mosley, it was his first year. Kwan Williams, maybe a little bit you could expect a regression, but he's just kind of always been pretty good. So the bottom line is they just kind of have good corners. Maybe not quite this good. Maybe this was a little bit above normal, but they do just have good corners. Do we think Bosa's going to regress? I don't think so. Is DeForest Buckner going to regress? No, he didn't play above normal. He played exactly like he always plays. Eric Armstead did get a big boost, but how, how much of this Eric Armstead boost comes from the fact that Nick Bosa's here now? D Ford already had his regression. 2018 with the Chiefs was his big year. Now, he didn't go back to his normal, which his normal is being a terrible pass rush. For four years, he was straight garbage. And then he got Mr. Mike Smith, who is now with the Packers, who kind of coached him up. And he learned a lot of new stuff. So it's kind of a question of, is this just who he is now? Was it a fluke? And I still don't know. Maybe he's going to continue to regress back down to his 2014, 15, 16, 17 number. Or maybe this is just like a happy media. He, he learned a bunch of new cool stuff, but he's kind of out of that environment. But he's still got Bosa and all these other things. So he's just going to kind of hover in the 70s now. I don't know, but I don't really expect him to get too much worse. I think Fred Warner and Quan Alexander are terrible linebackers. They graded out terribly, but they've always graded out terribly. And guess what? They got very far with their subpar linebackers. They like them. They serve whatever function that you want them to serve. I think Quan is just a cover guy, and that's really all they want him to be. The fact that he's one of the worst run-defending linebackers in all of football, I'm guessing they don't really care. But the bottom line is, I don't think he's going to get any worse. He might get a little bit better, but he's not going to get worse. Jaquiski Tart, the safety, is not very good, but he's never really been very good, so he's not going to regress. Jimmy Ward, very good chance he regresses. He has sort of a breakout year, but, you know, is, is that make or break? And I think he's a free agent anyway, so they may decide to just move on from him. So, you, I mean, you could have a little bit of regression. Again, with the DBs, maybe a little bit. But I think the the main driving force, and by the way, the, any spike in the defensive backs comes a lot from where the Bears got their spike. It's from that pass rush. The dominant pass rush gives a little bit of a spike to the DBs, and so you start to see more interceptions, you start to see more errant passes and everything else, and so guys like Sherman and Ward and Williams and Mosley, they get a little bit of a spike. And again, I don't expect that to go down. I don't expect that to get worse. I don't see any reason why it will. Now, as to the question, what about the salary cap, though? Are they in trouble? No, 
They got $20 million. It's not a ton of money, but they're certainly not in trouble. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to cost 26. It's a lot, but it's not terrible. D Ford is probably getting too much at 15. Buckner's getting 14. Sherman's getting 14. Joe Staley, who's worth every penny, is worth is at 11, and nobody else is at 10 million. If they wanted to, they can get rid of. No, they wouldn't do that. I mean, they, they have uh, Solomon Thomas. Solomon Thomas is one of those first-round pick. He just never panned out. Right? They threw first-round picks at that defensive line forever. Most of it stuck pretty well. Solomon Thomas is just not working. And so they could save four, four and a half million dollars by dumping him. Jaquiski Tart, who's not very good, is is an option to move on from. And again, they don't have to. They they have enough money to bring the guys that they want back. I mean, and, and it, it might mean that they have to do some difficult thing. I think Emmanuel Sanders, the, the intelligent thing, I honestly believe, is to let Emmanuel Sanders walk. You've only got $20 million. You paid him a one-year, $11 million contract. Now, scared teams with insecure GMs like Ryan Pace with the Chicago Bears want to pay guys like Emmanuel Sanders. I don't think so. I, I think the 49ers are very confident. I think they're going to look at this and say, I'm not going to I'm not going to take the bait. Emmanuel Sanders is 33 years old. This is a very heavy wide receiver class. We can get a replacement wide receiver, and that's not the strength of our team anyway. We don't need, you know, some, I don't know, $11 million guy to, to, to do all this, that, or the other. I've got to, I'm confident in my coat that he's able to get the best out of the guys we have. And by the way, the tight end we have, use check at fullback, the running backs, the offensive line. I mean, this is what makes us great. And if we can just find a couple more pieces, I'm not going to take the bait. I don't think they sign Emmanuel Sanders. If they do, that's going to hurt a little bit. They'll be a better team for it in terms of you're, you're better with Emmanuel Sanders. I don't think it's a good decision. But I really think that's that's kind of what, what I would consider a power move. If they sign Emmanuel Sanders, I have a little less, I guess, respect for the 49. It's a weird way to say it, but I would just see that as, as a confidence move if they say, nah, we don't need him. We'll get it. We'll replace him somewhere else. I'm not paying him ten, eleven million dollars. Jimmy Ward then is is four and a half million. Again, he had a great year. If you think it was for real, you re-sign him. If you think it's a fluke and he's going to regress, you let him walk. I think Eric Armstead is somebody that you want to re-sign. He's probably going to get a good amount of money. Twenty six years old. He's another one of those first round picks, and he had a really big breakout year. And he's he's one of those guys. And I didn't mention him when I talked about it, but he's had a slow progression. And again, could he possibly regress? Sure, he could. From 70 to 74 to 89, that's a big jump. But again, it's a different thing when you're talking about a guy that's either been pretty average his entire career or a guy like Eddie Jackson, who's a fourth-round pick, who in one year becomes the number one guy. I'm talking about an early first-round pick who finally became the number six defensive end in football. You know, when, when everything's coming together, when you got Bosa there and a bunch of other things to work with, it's not that surprising that Eric Armstead would have an 89 overall grade. So maybe he'll regress, but I don't think he has to. And so, yeah, I think he gets a big contract, and I think that's where a lot of their money goes. But they have plenty. Again, we've played with these contracts. We understand how it works. If you give him a, a, a $18 million contract, you pay him 7 this year. So I'm, I'm just not worried if I'm the 49ers. I think they, now, again, they can mess it up. You let the wrong guys walk. You re-sign guys that aren't going to pan out. Right? I thought Quan Alexander was a terrible signing. They paid him way too much money. But, you know, it works for them. They're happy with it. But, again, this is a situation where if you go out in free agency and you spend too much on guys that you shouldn't have, uh, you have to draft well. Because you're, you, that's, that's always the standard. Every year, you're going to go backwards 
unless you start to to draft well. I mean, it, it, I'm sure there's a situation where last year's draft class had so many guys that take a step that you can do nothing and your team gets better. But I think that tends to be pretty rare because on the other end, you got guys that are a year older, you got free agents that are leaving, you got guys that are retiring. I think your team is eroding every single year and you have to be able to replace that. So it's always going to come down to your GM being able to sign the right guys pick up who you need in free agency if you need to do that, and then draft well. And if he doesn't do that, they're going to take a step back. But I don't see, the bottom line is, I don't see a massive cliff in front of the 49ers. I'm not predicting they're going to be a dynasty for 10, nobody can predict that because that depends on the GM. And to be completely honest, there's a big part of, of that that's luck. Maybe not if you're the Patriots, but I think for a lot of teams, you know, depending on how long you think a dynasty is, you look at, for example, the, the Legion of Boom Seahawks, Maybe that wasn't a dynasty, but that was a really good run. That was basically luck. That was a, a GM who has got a, in my opinion, a terrible record of drafting who just really hit in like one year. I mean, he just hit and hit and hit and hit, and that unit just went on and just dominated for, I don't know, three, four years, and there's still some remnants of that. I mean, Russell Wilson, who's there right now, was a part of that draft class, but the team otherwise has basically eroded. They were lucky enough to, in my opinion, see if Seahawks fans don't seem to like him, but I think they got a good coach, they got a good quarterback, it's just the GM that's not doing a very good job. And so it's hanging on. So really, that, that's what it's going to come down to. But if the question is, do you think they're going to fall off, the answer is no. Slowly erode over time, possibly and hopefully. I mean, let's not forget, they did just kind of jump out of nowhere. But I don't think that this is some weird thing where they jumped out of nowhere and they're actually a garbage team. I just think that they were underperforming before, and now things are kind of clicking. Now, also remember, I just looked at their defense. There are some questions on the off. Emmanuel Sanders uh, being gone. Debo Samuel had a great first year. Doesn't mean he's going to be great forever. George Kittle is, you know, he's had two pretty good years of, of success. I, I, I mean, just looking over, I don't think they're going to regress either. Kittle is just kind of what he is. Debo, I don't think he's going to, I mean, he was a 77. It's not like he's a 94 best wide receiver in football. If that was the case, I'd say, yeah. 77 is just kind of whatever. Staley's a stud. He always has been. McGlinchey is just pretty consistent. The rest of the offensive line didn't even grade out that well. So there's no reason to regress there or expect regression. Jimmy Garoppolo is what he's been. Yeah, everybody's just, I mean, no, I, I, I don't think on the offense either. I'm sorry if that's that's what you were counting on. I just don't see it. On the other hand, let me just say this one thing. They have been having a lot of luck. The main portion of their success, if you look at who the dominant guys are, and this is the one thing that I would say is against their GM, the guys that the GM brought in that are dominant players are early first round picks, which are the easy ones to get, and then Richard Sherman, who he went out and bought. Who on this team has he gotten in the later rounds that's really dominated? George Kittle would be one. That was a fifth round pick that obviously is a massive hit. Otherwise, in that draft class, nothing. 2018, I don't see anything, including Michael McGlinchey in the first round, who is who I wanted him to take, but that was the ninth overall pick. And again, if you got a top 10 pick, you're supposed to hit. Mike McGlinchey's fine, but he's okay, just whatever. Again, 2019, you got Nick Bosa. Seems like maybe Debo was a good pick. Otherwise, nothing. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not flat out calling him a trash GM. I'm just saying I don't know that he deserves getting awards for this. Going out and paying a free agent who's a proven free agent, although you know maybe he gets some respect or you know whatever for Sherman because he wasn't that good in the past. But when, you're, when your dominant players are almost entirely made up of top 10 picks, and a free agent. I don't know. I think maybe there are better GMs out there. Or at the very least, he needs to be able to prove it. And now that his team is good, he doesn't get those top 10 picks anymore. And so again, remove his top 10 picks. Who has he, he got? George Kittle, 
Debo Samuel. I mean, there's there's other guys who are, who are role players, and that's fine, but this isn't an elite player without it. And so now that the charade is over, now that the, oh, we're so bad, oh, we, we need a top 10 pick, we're terrible, and we stack a bunch of first-round pick, which, by the way, I mean, the last time they had a low pick was in 2014 with Jimmy Ward. Armstead was a 17th pick, which is, I guess, a mediocre pick. Buckner was a 7th overall. Thomas was a 3rd overall. McGlinchey was ninth, and Bosa was 2nd. Now they're back to being 31 overall. Best of luck to you. And by the way, he wasn't the... I was going to say, well, in 2014, they got Jimmy Ward, and that was a good pick. He wasn't the GM then. I was looking at some of these like, oh, these are decent picks. Different GM. Uh, the, the one thing I do want to say, I guess, as a negative, is I, I think people might be surprised to hear me say that so-and-so isn't that great, the offensive line. I think this, if anything, this team is somewhat scheme-dependent. It's, it's, it's not a team that is stacked with elite players. Kittle is very, very good. Staley's a good tackle. Bosa, Armstead, Buckner, and then if we assume Sherman falls off and maybe Ward isn't that good, that's kind of it. Their offensive line interior is mediocre. Quarterback is good, not great. Running back is good, not great. Wide receivers are good, not great. Linebackers are terrible. Safety's meh. And so the point is, if you take this roster and give it to a different coach and different coordinator, I I mean, they're, they're a good team. I don't know if they're a dominant elite team. And for that reason... You know, some teams are so talented player-wise, there's just no way that they they fall below a certain floor. And I just wonder with the 49ers, it's one of those things where if defensive coordinators can kind of catch up with this particular scheme so that they're not, you know, I don't want to keep saying the word scheme, but scheming their way around defenses, I don't know that they have the, the firepower. For example, Jimmy Garoppolo isn't exactly the kind of guy where you're like, look, we can't exactly scheme guys open quite as easily. You're gonna to have to put this one on your back and make some magic happen. I don't think he's that guy. So I, you know, I don't think the NFL is just gonna completely catch up. And the fact that they've got a dominant defensive line is always gonna carry them to at least some degree. But that would be the only real possible negative for the 49ers, in my opinion, is if they just can't quite. If, if people catch up to them. Um, anyways, speed round. Uh, in the Facebook group, somebody had said I saw an article last night that said we can create seven million dollars in cap space by restructuring Zadarius Smith's contract, similar to what happened with Rodgers. Is that true? It's true. It's true that you can uh, see. I don't know who's coming up with these like calculators or whatever, where we have the ability to restructure somebody. We can restructure whatever we want. It's just a matter of would you want to. So Zadarius Smith's contract is an average of sixteen point five million per year. So you have to expect to pay him around sixteen and a half million. The problem is in 2019, we only paid him seven. So now we're going to have to pay more. In 2020, we're paying him 17. And then in 2021 and 2022, it's 20 million a year. So it's much more expensive in the coming years because we paid so little in 2019. If we restructure this to save 7 million and drop it from 17 down to 10, we, we don't get rid of that 7 million. We have to apply it to the next coming year. And if we do it evenly, let's just call it 3 million. Suddenly, we're paying in 2021 and 2022 $23 million a year. I don't see any reason to do that. I see zero reason to. We have cap money, and the only thing that's going to do is make it more likely that we cut Zedarius before his contract is over. Because what they would end up doing is they'd maybe bump it up to $21 million in 2021, and then you're looking at about like $25 million in 2022. With very little cap, you know, dead cap of $5 million, we would save $20 million to cut Zedarius. And you got the number crunchers looking at it going, look, and I, you know, I, you want to talk about guys that might regress, Zedarius is on that list. It's possible he's just not one of the best pass rushers in football, but that's not what he's always been. We, that remains to be seen. But the point is, in 2022, do we know that he's going to be worth $25 million? 
Again, there's, there's just no reason to do that. So can we? Of course, we can do whatever we want. We can restructure Aaron Rodgers' contract again down to zero. Just, you know, his, his salary is like a dollar. Maybe we can't exactly do that. But, I mean, it's just, you, you, the point is you can do whatever you want, but there's always repercussion. There's no magic pill of just we just make money disappear. It just means we push it out to a later time. And when you do that, and this is the thing that concerned me with Aaron Rodgers when they pushed the money out, it made it seem a little bit concerning that maybe he's not going to be around later although it's probably going to be on par with what top-tier quarterbacks are being paid then. But the point is, if he's not one of the top tiers, if he's not one of the Pat Mahomes of whatever in two, three years, the Packers are going to be very inclined to move on from Aaron Rodgers. And the same would be true of Zadarius Smith if we pushed his money out. In in 2022, $20 million for a pass rusher is going to be nothing. Even in today's money, you know, what was it, two years ago, Khalil Mack got like a $25 million contract. So $20 million isn't that much. But don't, don't push it. There's no reason to push it. We have money. We don't need to do that. Can we? Yes. Should we? No. There is another question, but we kind of already talked about that, and we definitely don't have time to dig in, so I'm going to cut it off there. Sorry for the short episode, but uh, anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one, and bye bye